Dolce. My name is MC Mesto. Welcome to a very erudite edition of the show entitled... The Classical Dimension. Yes, uh, throughout the decades, uh, the world of the classics has been a great inspiration to the world of easy listening and space-age bachelor pad music. And uh, we're going to demonstrate that for the next hour. In amongst all of that, though, we do, of course, have MC Mesto and his unnecessary news. That's right. Sarawak, on the northwest coast of Borneo, approximately the size of England and Wales put together, has a tropical climate, inaccessible rainforest, swampland, and a mountainous interior covering three quarters of the state. <laughs> Very insightful, MC Mesto. Thanks. <laughs> We should mention that uh, we, we began this week's edition with some very moving drum playing from the Portsmouth Symphonia with their version of Course of Vals, or Sprach Zarathustra. Strikingly imprecise. <laughs> Strikingly imprecise. For some reason, not available. It hasn't been reissued. I don't understand why. Perhaps. Not into the modern world. <laughs> no. It only exists in crackly it form. It does. Very crackly form in that case. I do apologise for that. You're very lucky you can get that on an album called Play the Classics. Yeah, it'd be more precise to say you can't get that on an <laughs> no. album called Play the Classics. Not really. Unless you have a mad relative. Yeah, try it. We're going to start the show proper, though, with a track from a very old album which came out in 1968 by the father of Exotica, mm. that being Les Baxter. There's some doubt as to whether he had much to do with this album, but we'll give him credit <laughs> until we hear otherwise. This is an album with the slightly misleading title of Moog Rock doesn't have anything to do with the rock music, although it does have quite a lot to do with the Moog, because it's essentially a whole collection of uh, Moog arrangements of classical music, given a very gentle beat underneath the main tune. So we're going to play the opening track from the album, which is a lovely version of a, a piece by Borodin called simply Nocturne.
Les Baxter there with a sort of wobbly rendition. <laughs> a little Bon Tempe backbeat going on there. I wonder what Borodin would, would have made of that. Would he have said, thanks, Les? Thanks for doing that to my nocturne. Yeah. I'm sure Grooving it up a little bit in a slightly <laughs> slightly weedy. Yes. It's a mixture of the sort of weedy and the sumptuous. Absolutely, yes. yes. Mm. It's a wonderful collection of all, demonstrating all the range of sounds you can get from a Moog synthesizer. Dvorak, he's from uh, Hungary, isn't he? He's he is, a, yeah. And he, he liked to mess about with gypsy music, didn't he? He did, yes. And that was highly influential to him. So, of course, it makes absolute sense <laughs> that an Indian gentleman should attempt to do a version of the, one of his tunes. Yes. We're talking about Illa Raja, one of our favourite Lollywood composers. This is a piece that uh, allegedly he composed, although it's obviously he does borrow fairly heavily from, uh, from the work of uh, Dvorak. Specifically the third movement of the New World Symphony. This is a tune performed by S.P. Balasubramanayam and S. Janaki. The title track from a 1978 Tamil film, Chitu Kuruvi.
முத்தம் எச்சில்கிறது இன்பம் மட்டும் வரவு முத்தம் மொத்த செலவு Sue Bram <laughs> and S. Janaki. Yes. Brilliant. Chitu Karuvi. Yeah. Their reworking of Dvorak's third movement from the New World Symphony, which yes. is all about America and apparently something to do with Hiawatha's dance, wasn't it? Apparently that movement of the symphony and therefore that arrangement, yes, was something to do with Hiawatha's dance. You wouldn't know that that was a Hungarian, no. had anything to do with a Hungarian no. composer, would you? Do you think he would have recognised it himself? <laughs> he might have done, yes. What I would like to see, maybe I'm still feeling adversarial after our Jewel Jewel <laughs> show, but I'd like to see what would happen if Dvorak were in one corner. <laughs> And, and those uh, two. SP was in the other. <laughs> yes. Would they be hugging and kissing? <laughs> I'm not sure. Would there be some handshake? I think there might be some litigation. <laughs> Pugilism. <laughs> yes, possibly. Anyway, that is incredible. It's great, isn't it? What a great piece of music. We should thank Space Disco Jeff, actually, for bringing that to our attention. I do have the album Firestar. That comes from and I had no idea of classical origins of that tune. So thanks for pointing that out. We're going to have a double bill of Grieg. We'll have one piece of Greek before the news and one immediately afterwards. We're going to start by playing a track from the Galactic Light Orchestra. The Herb! Otherwise known as The Herb. He's oh, in yes. there. He's, He's in, there. in there. From 1974. He did a whole album of classical covers all funked up by the rhythm and combination of brass. He's taken... Grieg, and he's dragged him into the funkosphere. <laughs> the funkosphere. By his shirt backwards. <laughs> yes. Unbelievable. The album is called, brilliantly, Time Traveller's Galaxis. And I think there's a bit of Moog here. Quite a lot of Moog in the swing show, actually. This is the Galactic Light Orchestra with their version of Initra's Dance. <laughs> Thank you. 
the stupendous Peter Herbolt Samadek under the guise of the Galactic Light Orchestra <laughs> yes. with his duffing up Greek <laughs> Anitra's dancer mm. Herb done in the Herb style <laughs> yes he herbed all over it it's, it's, it's herbed up we went for a very long time with a dearth of Herb mm. but now he's been on pretty much every recent show he's fighting back <laughs> he's fighting back Listeners, I know you're moved by that. Words cannot express it, really. But if you do have some words that you would like to say to us, you can contact us via Twitter at twitter.com forward slash project moon base. Mm. We're also on Facebook. We're facebook.com slash project moon base. And you can also watch us brag about stuff that we've got on Instagram. <laughs> oh, I've just got this. Somebody just sent me that. That's free. That's all. That's thing. right. If you enjoy a little internet bragging. Well, the other thing we post on Instagram is the lovely, beautifully designed cover art in lovely large format for you to drool over every That's week. That's right. Obviously, go to projectmoonbase.com where we have a list of all the tracks that we play and links to where you may find them on iTunes and on Amazon. And if you go to iTunes to find Project Moonbase and subscribe, please, and give us five stars, would you? And if you can say something delightful mm. about us, that would be great too. If it's really flattering, we might even read it out. We might. Uh, we'll be back, as I say, with a bit more Greek, very shortly, dear listener. But first of all, it's time to strike the drum of unnecessary news. woman opens cuddling shop and gets 10,000 customers in one week. <laughs> Crumbs. A woman who opened a professional <laughs> cuddling shop, none of this amateur cuddling, that offers an hour of spooning for £40, has had 10,000 requests from customers in just one week. People love spooning! Samantha Hess, who opened Cuddle Up To Me in Portland, <laughs> Oregon... Hmm. Offers hour-long sessions of platonic touching mm. that include hair stroking, hand holding, and a range of different cuddle positions for sixty dollars or about forty pounds. How does one become professionally certified as a cuddler? Well, I, I think it's like any time you see an expert on a TV <laughs> show and it just says expert, expert underneath yeah. them, you, you think, "Are you just calling yourself an expert?" <laughs> because I mean, any idiot can start up their own website and say, "I am an expert." Yeah. And uh, who's going to complain? I mean, what are they going to say? These cuddles aren't professional. <laughs> I think she started off her own school of oh, cuddling yeah. mm -hmm. and made herself professor. Read those diplomas very carefully, dear listener. Exactly. Who knows what would happen <laughs> if, you, if you had an amateur cuddle. The business is booming anyway. Miss Hez has now had to hire three other cuddlers <laughs> after a huge surge in customer requests that she was unable to take care of herself. Oh. The business has really taken off. She said, I've gotten as many as 10,000 emails in a week. The service which Miss Hess stresses is in no way adult-orientated came to the professional cuddler as an idea during a low point in her life. <laughs> There's a surprise. <laughs> Sessions are filmed to ensure the safety of the cuddler and the cuddle. Would you really want that? I mean, I'm sure it's platonic and everything. With live streams on the website. You're just being cuddled by some, like, random lady. This is going to be a bit difficult to explain to the wife, isn't it? The client signs a waiver, agreeing that they will be clean, courteous, and will keep their clothes on. <laughs> They should make members of parliament sign that too. <laughs> Beyond food and shelter, physical touch is the most basic need we have, reads one testimonial. Thousands of people have no one to hold or no. comfort them. Yeah. That's what dogs are for. <laughs> Only I bet she doesn't make you pick up her droppings. <laughs> Samantha Hess provides a service that promises to ease loneliness and overcome depression and promote happiness. 
Should we spoon after the show? <laughs> I'm, I'm convinced. Don't answer now. Speaking of droppings, Britain's first poo bus is running on human waste. Ah, oh, marvellous. Yuck. Biobus, <laughs> why is so much green stuff gross? Isn't there enough non-revolting stuff <laughs> to recycle? Do we, do we just have to start reaching into the lavatory? Anyway, apparently we do. Biobus is fueled by biomethane gas generated by the treatment of sewage and food waste. Mm. At a processing plant, Britain's first bus powered by human waste is taking to the streets. The 40-seater biobus is fueled by biomethane gas generated by treatment of sewage and food waste. A single tank of the gas, which is produced using the typical annual waste of five people, is enough to power the vehicle for 190 miles. <laughs> Bosses said the groundbreaking vehicle will improve air quality hmm. <laughs> and proves there is value in human poo. Well, great. <laughs> the maiden voyage will see the first passengers travel on the route from Bristol Airport to the historic city of Bath. The gas is being produced at Wessex Water Sewage Plant, run by energy firm Gen Eco. The annual waste of a busload of people would provide enough power for a return journey from Land's End to John O'Groats. <laughs> While producing less emissions than a diesel engine, apparently. The director of Gen Eco said gas-powered vehicles have an important role to play in improving air quality in UK cities. <laughs> but the biobus goes further than that and is actually powered by people living in the local area. Oh, it's getting a bit personal, including quite possibly those on the bus itself, he says, hysterically. <laughs> Imagine if that's how you paid for your trip. Mm. You just had to place your sample on the shelf instead of change. I mean, I'm sorry, sir, that's not enough. You need a little bit more fibre in your diet. <laughs> you know how um, vehicles powered by chip oil, uh, instead of yeah. petrol, they smell of... If you drive behind them, apparently they smell like you're drenched in the smell of a fish and chip. I wonder if, <laughs> if something similar happens if you drive behind this particular bus. Let's hope not. <laughs> And finally, outrage after Nazi Christmas baubles are put on sale. <laughs> yes, indeed. The decorations are authentic and not damaged, wrote the seller. <laughs> a box of vintage Christmas baubles bearing the swastika symbol of the Nazis has sparked outrage after it appeared on one online marketplace. The four Christmas tree decorations described by the seller as fancy. <laughs> so finally, we find out what fancy goods are. You know, sometimes you would see that on a shop. Yeah, that's fancy right. goods. With Means with swastikas. <laughs> Originally a Hindu and Buddhist symbol of luck, but now infamous for its association with Nazi Germany. A little bit of history for you there. If you haven't heard of it, Second World War. Oh yeah. The baubles, which appeared on a Czech website, O'Crow, I think that's what it's called. My Czech isn't very good. <laughs> were offered for sale for £59 and are described as original decorations used by SS units over 70 years ago. Oh, it's nice to know they celebrated Christmas. <laughs> isn't it? Sweet, isn't it? Incongruous, yes. After a hard day of murder and human rights abuses, I like to dress a tree with the Nazi baubles. <laughs> Yes, I offer Christmas decorations of SS unit, wrote the seller. He defended his right to sell the bauble, saying that he was not a member of any movement that suppressed human rights. <laughs> the decorations are authentic, they are made of blown glass, and they are in original colours and good condition. These are precious pieces, he says. However, the listing has sparked outrage, with one commentator saying she felt sick to see the logo of the Nazis who annexed the Czech Republic in 1938. A little bit more history for you. A little bit more history. <laughs> Another user, Václav Česka from Prague wrote this is absolutely disgraceful my grandparents fought in the resistance against the Nazis and remember the atrocities committed by the SS I do love the I'm annoyed on behalf of yeah. other people who are completely unaware that this is going on that's right that's the whole basis of online commenting it is it's like I personally am not furious <laughs> but I know somebody who would probably be furious about this if they knew anything about it but luckily they don't they're probably having a lovely retirement 
However, the owner of the Bulls defended his right to sell them, saying he doesn't support movements like the SS either. I declare that I am not a member of any movement aimed to suppress human rights and freedoms or the movement which support national, racial or class hatred to other group of people, he wrote. Very good. Nice. This is good. I think all Christmas decoration vendors should have to make a similar <laughs> statement, don't you? While I'm not sure why anybody would want Nazi baubles, I think we're upset with the Nazis because of their systematic <laughs> genocidal murdering of millions of people and not so much their Christmas decorations. <laughs> Am I right? I don't know. Could be. Sometimes I creep up to the Nazi saucer base on the dark side of the moon. You wouldn't believe what goes on in there. You know, <laughs> listeners will know that there's a Nazi saucer base on the dark side of the of moon. Of course. And uh, in there, I see them all sitting around, sipping their Nazi cocoa out of their Nazi mugs, warming themselves around a Nazi fire, wearing their Nazi slippers. You know, like Nazis. You have been used! Pincock. Thank you, Mrs. Cunningham. Thank you, sir. For that repressively festive selection of new stories, there'll be more later on in the show. second dose of Edvard Grieg there that was the uh, wonderful sound of Apollo 100 who I think very famously had a, a big hit with a track called Joy they did also release a whole albums worth, in fact a couple of albums worth of uh, classical covers including that rather nice uh, accelerating version of all of the Mountain King. But amongst their number was the great Vic Flick on guitar who I think uh, was in the John Barry 7 actually. Mm. There we are 
We are going to proceed now by having some Wagner, perhaps a bit controversially, but there we are. This comes from, well, actually quite a well-known library music composer, Nick Ingman, but he did also record some albums on conventional record labels. This was put out on EMI Studio 2, and you can get this on uh, CD and probably download too. The album's called Terminator, slightly uh, worryingly, and it has some rather groovy cover-up. They look like odd mushrooms. Mushrooms, psychedelic, trippy. Stripey. Stripey mushrooms. mushrooms. But anyway, this is Nick Ingman with his sensational version of Ride of the Valkyrie. Thank you. 
It's almost as if Nick Ingman thought the Valkyries were a sort of biker gang. <laughs> and he was chasing them. <laughs> Incredible. Yes. Wagner would have just strangled Nick Ingman for that, I think. <laughs> But I imagine Nick Ingham might be quite lithe and, yes, and, and sneaky. I imagine he, he could... He uh, might be able to wheedle his way out. Yeah. Whereas Wagner's probably a bit bulkier. It's another one for the wrestling ring, really, isn't it? Yeah. He's <laughs> got weight and just grit, Wagner. <laughs> yes. Whereas Ingham is just wily like a cat. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nice analogy. Listeners, on this show, we go between just mono sometimes. <laughs> we'll just go nuts to this left and right business. <laughs> Let's go straight ahead mono. Because what we're doing there is pointing at your third ear. We are. But we're going to use both your ears this time. <laughs> and we're indulging in a long love affair that a gentleman <laughs> called Enoch Light had with the world of ping pong. <laughs> the yes. world of ping pong stir. And then maybe you might be saying to yourself, ping pong stir. Ping pong, that's just a game, isn't it? With <laughs> balls that Chinese people are very good at. But it's also a kind of crazy stereo. It is. And you can hear it in this, ladies and gentlemen. Petite Paulette, which is basically Dick Lieb's arrangement of Bore Number no. One, Bax Bore Number no. One, from an album, one of only two Moog albums that Enoch Light was involved with. This one is called Spaced Out. Enjoy Petite Paulette.
actually not the last bit of Bach on the move you'll hear in this week's show. We've got a little bit more coming up later on, but that was uh, Enoch Light with Dick Lieb on the move and doing the arrangements there. But a really nice low farty move <laughs> throughout that tune. I'm sure Bach would have been proud. We'll be back with some Mozart for the first time on this week's show. First of all, though, we are going to tinkle the triangle of unnecessary news. Christina Scuccia, the singing nun who found fame after winning Italy's version of The Voice, is set to release her debut album this week, including a cover of Madonna's hit, Like a Virgin. <laughs> can we play it on the show? I don't know. You can find it on YouTube. Scuccia's YouTube video showing her versions of songs by Alicia Keys, Bon Jovi, <laughs> amongst others, racked up millions of hits as a 26-year-old sang her way to victory on the television programme. A member of the Ursuline Sisters of the Holy Family... Her audition of No One by Keys has received over 51 million views online. Good Lord. What are we doing wrong? I don't know. <laughs> We're not nuns. We need to get ourselves a nun's habit. I don't mind converting. I think, yeah, it's looking like a good option, isn't it? But the inclusion of the 1984 single from Madonna has church traditionalists up in arms, apparently. <laughs> Scuccia from Sicily will release a collection of songs entitled Sister Christina, and the nun told Italian TV that her fledgling showbiz career would not radically change her life. I looked at the words of Like a Virgin without thinking of the past. The defining characteristic of Christians is being able to see everything with a new eye, she said. She told the media that the song spoke to her because she felt the line about being touched for the very first time was similar to her experience of finding God. <laughs> there's a, now, there's a, there are an awful lot of albums with Christians going on about being touched. So she's in a, a fine tradition there. And Madonna signalled her approval on Twitter, tweeting, Sisters for Life, hashtag touched for the very first time. That might be the longest hashtag of all time. Along with a photo montage featuring the... The 56-year-old singer and the Italian nun. Oh. It's a bit weird, isn't it? I made a montage. <laughs> My name's Madonna. Oh, sorry. I wonder if she's got a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> she might do, yeah. My name's Madonna and I've made a montage of me and a nun. <laughs> Oxford Dictionary's Word of the Year 2014. It's that time again. Mm. Do you know what it is? I'm afraid I do know what it is. Vape. Verb. Another one of these words that's, I'm afraid, it's banned from the moon. I know. You're not allowed to use those kind of words up here. We have to draw up a special um, <laughs> exemption just for just, just for, for this. this new story. Inhale and exhale the vapour produced by an electronic cigarette or similar device. That's what it means. I hate this with the force of a million volcanoes. <laughs> Oxford Dictionaries have announced vape as their international word of the year, 2014. They're revealing that the use of the word vape in 2014 has more than doubled compared to 2013, as has my irritation with it. <laughs> Over the last five years, sales of electronic cigarettes have grown from almost nothing to a multi-million dollar industry. And the habit has gone mainstream. I'm not sure what I dislike more, watching people with their electric cigarettes <laughs> or watching people gazing slack-jawed into their so-called smartphones. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing both... Doing both, usually. You yes. are really doomed, aren't you? <laughs> While well, taking a selfie. <laughs> OED says its linguistic productivity is evident in the development of a vaping lexicon. <laughs> oh, that makes me annoyed. Vape pen, vape shop, and even vaporium. Oh, my oh, God. If it could... Be, as if it could be any more loathsome. 
E-cigarettes were not commercially available until the 21st century, having been invented in China in 2003. It's a Chinese conspiracy! (laughs) Yet the word vape dates to the early 1980s. Author Rob Stepney described the hypothetical device in one of his books. Oh, really? Not that we should hold him responsible. (laughs) Uh, The other contenders were BAE. I don't know how you pronounce that. Bay? Mm. Term of endearment for one's romantic partner. Never heard of it. Bud tender. (laughs) Can you guess what that is? Uh, A bartender who only serves Budweiser. Good guess, but it's a person whose job it is to serve customers in a cannabis dispensary or shop. (laughs) Mm. Contactless. Oh, yes. Hateful. Relating to involving the technologies that allow a smart card, mobile phone, etc. to contact wirelessly to an electronic reader typically in order to make a payment. Indie ref concerning the oh, yes. referendum on Scottish independence. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Normcore. Oh. Do you know what that is? Um, it's another zeitgeist thing that is. nobody's heard <clears throat> of. It's a trend. Now, let's look at this sentence and tell me what's wrong with it. A trend which ordinary unfashionable clothing is worn as a deliberate fashion statement. <laughs> Not possible! <laughs> How can it be a trend to do something that's entirely untrended, but do it in a way in which people are supposed to realise that it's you're a trend, yeah. being trendy mm-hmm. rather than being, you know, untrend? It's what? It's impossible. It's a snaking its own tail. <laughs> and how about this slacktivism? Oh, yes. Actions performed via the internet in support of a political or social <laughs> cause requiring little effort, i.e. signing an online petition that no one's ever going to take any notice of. And stop it. <laughs> San Francisco has a new mayor. Oh, hooray. And it's a dog. <laughs> and it's a real dog, if you can call a chihuahua a real dog. Frida, the chihuahua, a previously unknown chihuahua, has hit the heady heights of city politics after the San Francisco Board of Supervisors issued a special commendation. Mm, how nice. Yeah. Don't panic. People haven't gone completely bonkers. Frida is only in charge for one day. <laughs> Dean Clark, the owner, assists uh, Frida around the place because, let's face it, if you're a pocket-sized dog, you're pretty much helpless. <laughs> San Francisco human mayor, Ed Lee, stepped aside for the day and uh, greeted Frida, who got the job as part of a campaign to support the city's animal shelter. Frida has no actual power to make decisions while in office, and being a dog is unlikely even to be aware that she is in office. So that's not really a problem, is it? There are not thought to be any plans to make a cat mayor for a day, because cats are widely believed to be too lazy for such an important role. Ooh, contentious. (laughs) Meanwhile, Frida is pictured wearing sparkly fedoras and pearls, amongst other things. Listeners will know my feelings on the subject elected pets, namely that they are preferable to human so-called representatives, and I am not prejudiced. Sooner we can replace our so-called leaders with dogs and cats, the better. In fact, imagine a cockatoo as Prime Minister. Hmm? Goldfish as leader of the opposition? How about an old English sheepdog as uh, Speaker of the House, eh? This has been a party political broadcast on behalf of the Animal Party. You have been used! A Wigglesworth. Thank you, Zirconium. Thank you, sir. For that petocratic selection of news stories. There'll be more on next week's show.
That was a double bill of speed and precision, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Breathless speed and precision. Dizzying. I almost managed to leave out a Wendy Carlos track, but that was Wendy Carlos from really the album that started the whole Moog craze, really. I think 1969 it came out, an album called, of course, Switched on Bach. Not only did it start that particular craze, but it also started your career as <laughs> Moon Empresario, That's Moon right. Pope. That's where it all began. One of the albums I do remember hearing in my early years. <laughs> formative. Obviously formative a formative years. period. When that's you were right. a babe in arms, perhaps. <laughs> in the cot. Actually, now you've mentioned that that's the second track this week because the Spaced Out album from Me Not Light is another example of that. It's all taking me back, dear listeners. It's all taking you back to when you were a babe. And before that, the Swingle Singers, of course. Mm. With uh, Rondo alla Turca from the uh, Piano Sonata Number no. 11 by Mozart. We're now going to have a double bill of Beethoven. Oh, yes. And, in fact, some more Moog as well to keep us in that frame of mind. This comes from Gershon Kingsley's album Music to Moog by. A very strange, slightly disorientating version. It's almost like electronic bodybuilding. He's taken <laughs> it and he's beefed it up. He has. With a lot of hormones and, and powders of one kind or another. Definitely some steroids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely taken Furley's to some kind of dark and corner of a changing room and unwrapped something that isn't entirely legal <laughs> to make this. <laughs> this is indeed uh, Gershon Kingley's adaptation of Furley's, but for some reason he's called it For Alyssa. 
perhaps because it's so radically different from the original. Beefier.
Bumble and the Stingers there. Mash number five there. Approach to Beethoven's <laughs> Fifth Symphony. Somewhat alcoholic version, I think. Yes. They are famous for rock and roll versions of classical tracks, and that was from 1961, 1962. Before that, the beefy electronic version of Fur Release for Alyssa by Gershon Kingsley. Hmm. Of course, a working partner of the great Jean-Jacques Perrault, no less. Patron singer, right? <laughs> yes, as we indeed. all know. We're going to leave you by playing a rather sumptuous and lovely track, which I've been meaning to get on the show for a while. This is a great set of late 70s classical disco. Disco Debussy. <laughs> disco Debussy, in fact, yes. The great Walter Murphy, who probably these days is best known as the composer of not only the theme music, but most of the incidental music on... Uh, Family Guy and probably other Seth MacFarlane shows. From 1979 and an album called Disco Symphony, we're going to play this rather lovely long treatment of Debussy's Afternoon of a Fawn. Imagine if this fawn were in fact a cop, like a <laughs> renegade cop. <laughs> yes, but of course an easygoing, laid-back renegade cop A groovy cop as disco well. cop. <laughs> I have been DJ Dolce, and we've very much enjoyed your biro conducting on this week's edition of the show. I have been MC Mesto. Now replay this entire episode and sing along with a kazoo. <laughs> Until next week, dear listener. Rubbish! Boo! Boo! Get off the stage! Get off the stage, you incompetent nonsense! Boo! Rubbish.
case you want to be seen as a complete Murgatroyd, we would strongly recommend that you put on your shades and your leathers, daddy-o, and fall into next week's edition of Project Moonbase, entitled Bungos A Go-Go. You dig?